Time for another edition of Baseball and Beyond, and today I'm excited because it's Terry Pendleton with me. Hello, Terry. Hello, how are you doing? You look like you can still play. No, I mean, I'm fooling everybody because everything hurts. Believe me, it does. I mean, Ozzy's walking around here with gray hair, Willie's limping. Well, Willie always limp, yes. but you, you still look like you can play. Uh, you're with the Braves right now, so just uh, tell us a little bit about... Uh, what it's been like to uh, kind of change positions. You're kind of getting closer to the bench. You're not out of the field. You're on the field, but you're doing everything for the Braves these days. Well, yes. I went from hitting coach to first base coach, and now I'm the bench coach here. So there's been some changes in um, what I have to do and how I have to prepare and and how much I need to do in order to prepare. So uh, it's been a welcome change for me, though. I kind of enjoy the hitting coach job, I mean the uh, bench coach job more than all of them because it gets me involved more in the, the game as a whole instead of just certain areas of the game. Thoughts ever on being a manager? I know it's kind of come up before. Is it something that uh, five years from now you think about? Well, it's, it, it, it'd be something I'd love the opportunity at. I think, uh, you know, you, you uh, when you become a coach, there are certain things you may or may not want to do. And I think after the hitting coach job, there's, there's uh, for me, um, I felt uh, that it would be something that I might want to, venture into I shouldn't say venture into if you're going to go into you got to get after so I think it'd be something that'd be a good challenge for me talk more about your Braves in a little bit but uh your debut in St. Louis you went three for five you remember that day give me everything that went into the the call up uh where you were and all those those special memories that happened because that was over 30 years ago 32 years ago June June of 84 you and you go three for five July of 84 let's say July 18th 1984 to be specific you know the date tell me tell me what's going through your mind uh probably not little uh, Louisville you're probably in Louisville at that point Uh I'll tell you what happened I I had left the ballpark that night I was rooming with Vince Coleman and Jose Uribe and uh we left the ballpark that night got back to our apartment we were in Louisville at home and about 40 minutes after we got back to the apartment, uh, our phone rang. And uh, back in those days, there weren't no cell phones or none of that. We had one phone in the apartment, you know? Lucky to have that. And Vince was probably using it 90% of the time. Well, you know, it's funny. <laughs> at, at that point, a lot of us, we stayed away. We didn't want to touch that phone, you know? Uh, so the phone rings, and at that hour, we're all concerned because it's 1 o'clock in the morning, and we're, we're worried about... Um, uh, you know, family members or somebody being hurt or something to that effect. So at one o'clock in the morning, we're all still up trying to trying to settle down from the ball game. And uh, I think Vince answered the phone actually, and he says, "Hey, uh, Fergosi's on the phone. He wants you." And I'm like, oh, "This can't be good," you know. So I say, uh, "He goes, TP." I says, "Yes, Skipper." He says, uh, "How you feeling?" I says, "I'm feeling good, Skipper." I said, "Why are you calling? Ask me that question. I just left you an hour ago, you know." He goes, well, um, I just wanted to call you and let you know they want you in the show tomorrow. And the phone went quiet because I went quiet. And I said, Skipper, the show? He goes, oh, yes, the show. They want you tomorrow. You got plane tickets already set up for you to get out of here in the morning at 8 a.m. And he went through the whole spill. And he said, hey, when you get there, just just play baseball. You know how to do it. Just play. So uh, I hung up the phone. I explained to Vince and Jose Uribe what was going on. And Vince, being Vince, is why are you going up? <laughs> he says, Willie McGee got hurt. He says, I, I'm the outfielder. I'm the center fielder here. Why aren't I being called up, you know? And I said, well, Vince, uh, I don't know, but I'm going, you know? <laughs> and I told him uh, when I left that morning, well, before I left that morning, I told him, I said, listen, if we have an off day in the big leagues, I said, I'll come back and get my stuff because I ain't coming back here. <laughs> I'm not coming back. And they all laughed and, you know, they both laughed and said, I don't blame you. I wouldn't be either if I didn't have to. But I remember calling home, calling my mom and dad first, 
No, I called my fiance first and she didn't believe it, who's still my wife to this day, did not believe it. She's like, oh yeah, right, really, yeah, okay. And then I hung up the phone trying to convince her and I called my mom and dad and uh, my mom was like, you know, not real sure. My dad was fired up, you know. Um, and I remember getting off the phone with him and my dad says, hey, just play. You, you know how to play baseball. Just play. You've been doing it all your life. And I called one of my buddies in, in Fresno that I uh, had come through uh, college with and told him, and he was fired up and he couldn't believe it either. I said, well, all you people who don't believe me, check the box scores the next day or two and see if my name's in them. Um, so I did that, and then I stayed up all night. I didn't get a – I probably slept an hour that entire night. I remember sitting up in my bed, leaning against the wall, and all night thinking to myself, can I play with these guys? All night long. You know, you snooze off and you wake up and you, here goes that thought again. So I get up the next morning, I get to the airport, I land in here, and Rip Rowan, who is actually our, uh, our uh, visiting clubhouse manager again, uh, picked me up at the airport, believe it or not. That just shows both of our ages. And uh, brought me here to the ballpark. Um, I dropped my stuff off at the hotel there, and Lee Thomas, who was our minor league director, met me at the doors here at Old Bush Stadium, and we walked down together, and the bottom line Lee told me was, just play baseball, you know how to play, you know? So I get down to the clubhouse, and Buddy Bates, who was our clubhouse manager, um, introduces himself, asks me what I need. I walked in and see number nine sitting on the thing. I was expecting number 99, because I'd never been to big league camp, you know, let alone here you are in the big leagues, you know? And I was fired up about having a number that low, number one. And then I sat there for about 30 minutes, and Ozzie Smith walked in. Ozzie was on the disabled list at the time. He had a uh, broken thumb or something. And, um, you know, all the players and a number of them that I had met because Willie McGee had come down rehab in 83 in double A and Tommy Hurd come down to rehab. And I got the opportunity to meet those guys in spring training a few times. So I knew a few of them, George Hendricks. I knew a few of them, but not very, very well. So those guys started walking in. And as they started walking in, Whitey calls me in his office. And I've been wanting to meet Whitey Herzog, you know, since I signed with the Atlanta uh, with the with the St. Louis Cardinals in 1982. And he's calling me in his office, so I go in and I sit down. And I'm sitting across the desk from him, and he looks at me. And he says, "Hey, kid." He says, "Uh, you're slated to be here for seven to ten days because that time they had a seven-day disabled list and a ten-day disabled list." He said, "You're slated to be here for seven to ten days, or depend on how well you play." And then he paused for a second. He looks at me and he goes, "Hey." I want to tell you, if you don't play well, don't worry about it. He said, you'll be back. <sighs> I could relax now. You know, after he told me that, I relaxed. Everything was fine after that. Well, everyone was so nice, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. 1985 team is a team that I started watching baseball. I wasn't even 10 yet. And I think when you look back at it, we're past 30 years now. You name them off by names. Tommy, Willie, Ozzy, Terry. I mean, it just was... Something that you'll never see in the speed and all the different things about that team. And I think what's crazy is the older we all get, probably you and Ozzy, we talk about how, boy, we miss a team like that. And just tell me what it is about that team in particular, because it didn't win a World Series. It was a 101-win team. The Mets chased you all year. But just the fact that there is that where Tommy, Willie, Terry, Ozzy, everybody, Andy. I mean, it was, and you all had these names with the Ys, and and you and you just did something we've never seen, and we we'll never see again, probably. Well, I think the biggest part of that was the fact that we showed up every single day, knowing we had each other's back, and when we walked in the clubhouse door. We knew what was expected of each and every one of us, and we knew we couldn't let our teammates down in that clubhouse, and we stayed after each other. I was still a young young man on the totem pole, so I didn't say a lot. 
but them veterans in there, when something didn't go right, they let you know. When you didn't do what you're supposed to do on that on that field, they let you know. And there was no talk back. There was no getting pissed off. There was, okay, thank you. I'll make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think when you get a bunch of guys like that that aren't afraid to let their teammates know what they should and shouldn't be doing, I think you're going to have a better opportunity or a better chance to win every single night. And I think we respected each other in that aspect. And we knew that we were all in this thing together. You know, we'd stop on the side of the curve and go take a butt whipping with our teammate over there, five against one, because that was our teammate. And that was the way we went about doing things, off the field, on the field. Um, I think we understood what was necessary in order for us to win. I think we understood what type of ball club we had and, and what we needed to do every single night to be successful. And I think with, with Whitey Herzog um, basically throwing the bats and balls on the field, and saying, hey, seventh inning, I'll be there for you guys. Uh, he just went out and let us play. He knew the talent he had, and he knew uh, what each each guy was capable of doing. But I think the better picture was he knew to put each guy in, in, a, in a situation where they could be successful, especially guys on the bench. Ozzy's home run is big, but I, for some reason I still think the Jack Clark thing in, in L.A., because it takes you to the World Series. What I always remembered about that as a kid, at first I was at a record store watching it. It was on a TV at a record store, so that's how old it is. I don't know if there's yeah, record stores. No, there might not be any of those left. <laughs> but the fact that Jack, when he hits it, literally takes the widest turn. I mean, Dodger Stadium still is yeah. pretty wide, and he comes over to that. He's told me about this, where he comes over to look at you guys. Oh, yeah. He had, he had told us that in the seventh inning. The seventh inning, uh, 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 Tom Needenfear struck him out in the seventh inning, and I'd never seen Jack so mad in my life. And he comes back to the dugout, and he tells us in so many different words that if that is still in the game, I'm taking this. We used to call it big fly, hitting a home run, big fly. He goes, if he's still in the game, when I come back up there, I'm taking him big fly. And uh, so he gets his opportunity there, and we first of all, we're all shocked. Lasorda goes out to him. We're thinking, okay, he's going out there to make sure he puts him on because Vance Lyke and myself were coming up after that, and neither one of us have been doing nothing in the series, you know. And we were both shocked. Uh, that he's actually going to pitch to him. And he hits that ball, and when he hits the ball, of course, you know we all raise up, but he hits the ball, and he immediately beelines straight toward our dugout, and he yells, that's a big fly in his favorite words after that, and he proceeded around the bases. But for us, I mean, it, 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 it sends chills through you just thinking about it. You know, I, uh, years after that, I got Pedro Guerrero because he played here in, in St. Louis with us, and I got the opportunity to give him a hard time every single day watching him slam his glove on the ground like a little league kid, you know, uh, mad at the world. But that was, I, I don't, <laughs> we, we, we left there and flew to St. Louis, and we were listening to the Kansas City-Toronto game on, 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 they were actually springing it to us on the plane uh, but from the pilot and co-pilot, and uh, we were still on cloud nine. Even though we were in the air, we were on cloud nine still from that game. And the other thing about it was you guys all come to home plate in a game on the road. It's not a walk-off home no, run. No, uh, I mean, imagine what would happen today if a team does that. The, the, the people would talk about it forever. The fact that you guys you guys came to the home plate oh, to yeah, meet them in a, on a road game that's not over. Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, it was over. <laughs> we, we, hey, Tommy knew and, and Pedro. Tommy knew, Pedro knew, and every Dodger fan who watched the, the Cardinals play. We had this guy named Worrell and Daly in the bullpen. It was over. Trust me, it was. You guys uh, in, in the 80s had uh, Gussie Bush as your owner, and so I know that you guys had barbecues and you guys got together. And there's video, the Aussie movie of you and, and Vince and Willie sitting at the house watching highlights. I, know, I don't know if that was staged, but I assume that went on a lot no, more. No, no, no. What is the difference? Why do you think it's so different? The barbecue is a big thing to me. I mean, that because you guys got together. What, what has changed in the 30 years and when did it? Was there a line where you see that changed? I, first of all, 
and I'm not talking bad about anybody, any player whatsoever, but I think selfishness has, has played a big part in this game, period. Um, off the field stuff, I think this phone and and uh, the internet and everything else, you know, takes precedence over over getting together, doing things with you. I mean, you can walk in the clubhouse now and in any clubhouse and 90% of the guys are on their phone or on the iPad doing something else. They're not sitting around talking about the game or what might happen or what should have happened or what could have happened or what you should have done and, and why didn't you do it and all that type of stuff. They're into other things now. Um, for us, we got together because we enjoyed being around each other. We wanted to sit around and laugh and joke. We brought our wives around so they could sit around and have camaraderie with us and the other wives. And we all had a great time together. August Bush made being a St. Louis Cardinal special. He was a type of owner. He'd come around. He'd let you know that he appreciated you. Um, he came around to make sure everything was, was, was the way it should be and the way we needed it to be. He didn't take any flack from players. We had players leave here because they made gestures towards fans. They weren't here two days later. They're gone. He didn't play that. He respected you as a person and as a player, and you did the same with him, and you respected the way he ran a ball club. Um, but they were just special. The, the, the Anheuser-Busch family was just special. And uh, they made sure their ball club was the same way. And I'll tell you, here in St. Louis, when I was a St. Louis Cardinal, we were treated special. I mean, that's, I tell these kids stories now about playing here in St. Louis. There's no better place to play. Yeah, a little more time to talk about uh, some of the later times, if that's all right. Uh, the, the fact that that team doesn't have a ring, the 85 or 87 team, uh, the 87 team, now I'm a fan. You know, 85, I learn about the team. Right, right. 87, I'm watching. We're paying. They had pay-per-view games yeah, at home. Right, right. And uh, the home run in New York is obviously, I, you, know, you can't talk to Terry Pendleton without talking about that. But the 87 team and the fact that those two teams don't have rings, I mean, to me, they're as big as those world championship flags. They're as close as you can get because both obviously game sevens, but the teams, the, the, the era is remembered as the people loving it. Just yeah. tell me a little bit about the fact that you didn't win the big ring in those two years. Well, I think, um, you know, some people may, may differ or may say something different, but I think the reason personally, I think we didn't re win the ring in 87. Uh, myself and Jack Clark weren't able to. I, I was limited, and Jack wasn't able to play at all. I think that's two big differences in your lineup. Period. Um, we we stayed in ball games. I think uh, Minnesota had a little special home cooking there when they were at home. They did it again in '91 <laughs> in a different uniform. Um, but it's home field advantage. I guess you take advantage of what you can while you can when you're at home. But uh, <clears throat> I think what made those teams so special was when we had injuries and we had them all year long. It seemed like somebody came in and was able to come in and fulfill that spot. Jose Okendo was huge to us in 1987 um, with him being able to play every position on the field. We had, uh, I want to say, Dan Dreesen come in and play first base when Jack Clark went down. Huge. We had that, we had that in 85. We had Yvonne De Jesus step in. Uh, we had Cesar Cedeno step in. Tito Leonard. I mean, we had guys that, that came, walked right in and stepped in and did the job. In 87, we had the same thing. Um, I think... What made that so special, the Mets were chasing us again, or we were chasing them, and it went back and forth all year long. And I think the beauty of all that was the fact that right here in, in, in St. Louis, they had to sit and watch us win the thing while they had a day off up in the booth. You know, they got a chance that. to sit there and watch us win the whole deal. But Fans were chanting at them. Oh, yes. Go home, were. Mets. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So uh, that was the beauty of it. But I think uh, just, just us, the Mets had better pitching. The Mets had better offense, so they say. Um, and, and on paper, they probably did. Defensively, there was nobody better than us. Uh, Pitching-wise, because we were so good defensively, our pitching could do what 
virtually what they wanted to do. Or if, if, if they went out and pitched the way they were supposed to pitch, we were going to defend it and have an have a absolute uh, better chance of winning. I think offensively, that old saying, speed doesn't go into a slump. Even if we weren't hitting, there was always a chance we were going to score a run or two. So uh, we had the opportunity to put pressure on the other ball clubs and force them into more errors. And I think that's what made it so fun for everybody watching. Even if you weren't a Cardinal fan, you know, there were te- people uh, viewing in our Cardinal games because of the speed we had and because of the way we played the game of baseball. A couple more minutes with you. I appreciate your time. I think it's crazy that your pitching coach is here, Roger McDowell, and you guys sit and have to talk every day. I know you've said before there's no chance I bring it up if other people want to bring it up. What is it like? Is it still brought up? I mean, it is such a huge moment here. I don't know if anybody really brings it up between you two, though. No, I, I think um, in 2007, the the um, we were in New York, and, the, and one of the New York writers, they were doing a big story on that 87 series, and uh, they asked Roger, they wanted to, actually wanted to sit down with both of us and discuss that old deal, and Roger wasn't interested in doing it at all, and I told him from the get-go, I said, if he'll do it, fine. If not, I don't have an issue with it at all. Uh, so they end up speaking to us individually. I don't bring it up because I know for me, um, if I'd thrown that pitch, it'd be a sore subject for me the rest of my career. So it's not something I bring up to ever bring up to Roger. Hey, I hit a home run yeah, off. You yeah, remember yeah. that day, no, Roger? No, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't do that, even in joking. I don't, I don't do that. No. You know, um, I respect him. I know the way he played the game, and I know how, how he went after it every day the same way I did. It was blood. The Mets and the Cardinals, it was blood, you know. Um, so we respect that fact, and we realize that was in the past, and we both try to keep it there. But I will say this. Every time I go to New York, I hear about it. Oh, I kid you not. <laughs> every time I can be walking down the street. It's not even at the ballpark. I can be walking down the street, and somebody will recognize me and go, oh, man, you killed my Mets in 87, and they go into the whole spill. And uh, I have people there in New York telling me, oh, this was the first 9-11. I, I forgot the date in which I hit it. Yeah. yeah. And they tell me that's the first night. I said, I don't want to be remembered by that 9-11 thing. I, I don't want no part of that. But um, they talk about how much it crushed their season. You know, I, I remember going in there, and we were we were a game and a half up when we went in there. And they were already talking about, well, we win this one tonight, and they got we got good in tomorrow. We're definitely going to take over the lead after Saturday. And uh, we're going in there going, okay, yeah, we got to handle this one first and worry about good tomorrow. And we went in there and ended up winning that game Friday night. And we put five on good in the first day, first inning the next day. And he was gone. We won that one, but we lost the third day. But we still left out of there two and a half up. And that was a huge, huge lead in those days. I've watched 30 years of baseball as a Cardinal fan. We've had 2011. But that, that time in 87 is one of the greatest times. I can't let you go without asking about your, your Braves days. You leave here, and we all thought, oh, man, Terry Pendleton is going to leave. And then you go and you win an MVP. I'm like, what does he do? This is not right. This is, but, uh, and you go to the Braves, who, had, who were in last place. When you, go, you get over there, they go to first place. The MVP, um, a great time in Atlanta. Of, of, you didn't win a, I couldn't believe when I looked it up. I thought, how did he not win a ring? You left before they win in 95. But everything that happened for you there in 91 and how you – you took what you learned from Ozzy and Willie and all that stuff here, and you take it over to Atlanta, and you turn you turn the franchise around and make them have the same conversations in Atlanta that we have here in St. Louis. Well, I'll tell you what, I will say this: the um, that year, actually, I'm trying to not tear up to be honest with you. That year, uh, when I left here, was the longest walk out of a tunnel I ever took in my life. It was that that tough for me. Um, so I went home here. I lived here in, in Creepcore. Oh, no, I'd moved to uh, Chesterfield. And I went back to the house there in Chesterfield, and the missus and I are talking. We just had our first little one. And um, 
I said, you know, we're going to pack up everything and move back to California. She goes, I'm fine with that. We're both from California. Um, and she says, uh, well, you know, you don't know where you're going to be next year. I said, no, I'm going to be a Dodger. I already know that. I, I, they don't have a third baseman. I'm a California. I'm an L.A. boy. You know, what better fit? We can all we can go back home, be happy. Our parents can see our little one. The whole I mean, it's just perfect, right? So we pack up everything and move back to California. You know, we, we got the garage. My in-laws full with stuff in the garage, and my parents full with stuff, and we're back there. And then uh, the Dodgers don't call, and the Yankees come calling, and the Braves come calling, and the Yankees and Braves battle back and forth for a while. And the Yankees offered more money than the Braves would offer, and uh, – my wife basically looked at me and says, listen, you know, I know you got two choices on the table here, but if you go to New York, you're going by yourself. <laughs> She's not a New York fan at all. So I said, well, I guess that really didn't leave us a choice, but here's the deal. My, my, by the way, don't let her be your agent ever. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, she's a tough one. She can get what she wants. I can tell you that much. But, but here's the deal with, 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 with that whole situation. I knew what Atlanta had. I played against them the year before. I knew they had really good young pitching but they didn't have pieces behind them to play. They didn't have offensive pieces to play. And I personally, I preferred Atlanta over New York myself. Um, so when she made that comment, it just solidified what we needed to do. So I ended up signing with Atlanta. And when, when I flew into Atlanta to meet with John Scherholz and Bobby Cox, um, first of all, I called them on the phone. And I said, listen, I just left the situation in St. Louis I wasn't happy with. We had Whitey Herzog who resigned right after the All-Star break. And we had Dal Maxfield. And they never saw eye to eye on anything. I said, listen, we're on a three-way conference call with, with, with John Scherholz and, and Bobby Cox. I said, listen, I'll come to Atlanta under one condition. And they go, what is that? I said, you guys will promise me right now over this phone that you guys will be on the same page and the bottom line is winning every single day, no matter what it takes. And they go, oh, you got that. That's why we're calling you. So, okay, I'm in. So I flew in, sat down and met with both of them. We talked for a while, and they told me right away. They said, listen, you're going to be captain of this ball club. We're bringing you in because we know you play solid defense. Your offense is going to help, but we need some leadership in this clubhouse. We need somebody to really get these young guys going in the right direction. And I looked at myself and went, whoa, in all honesty. And I thought to myself, I mean, you've done this. You've learned from the best. Just go do what you're supposed to do and teach when you need to teach, you know. And that's where I took it from there. It's unbelievable. The last thing, the Jack Morris game. This is the last thing I have to ask you about because – I didn't realize again that you had the you had the ball into the gap, mm-hmm. and a former car. We're all watching here in St. Louis, maybe rooting, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, but Lonnie Smith doesn't doesn't make it around the bases, and I just know that there's not many chances to win a World Series. But right. we're talking about a classic game. I mean, these are like I said, when you keep going further and further away, you realize that you're playing in a classic. Maybe you don't then, but I mean, we remember watching it. Just tell well, me a little bit about special. it. We knew it was special with with the run one, the one run ball games we had, and nail biters every inning, every pitch. We knew it was important. I'm glad I wasn't watching it. I'm glad I was in the middle of it. But when I hit the ball, I knew Lonnie was running. When I hit the ball, I knew. Lonnie would score, no big deal, we'd be ahead. Uh, What I didn't realize is Lonnie, when he steals a base, he never peeks in, never, ever, even when I played here in St. Louis with him, never peeked in. So therefore, when the ball is hit there, if you don't peek in, you can't find it. You can forget about it, you know? So he's running, everybody thinks that Knobloch and those guys deked the heck out of him, nothing to do with it. The bottom line was that Roof deked the heck out of him, he couldn't find the baseball. Excuse me, so once he picked up the baseball and realized what was going on, uh, it was too late. 
it was too late, you know. And in Atlanta and other places, they probably want to place blame on Lonnie for us not winning that World Series, but you can't place blame there. We had second and third and nobody out. And all we had to do was get one run across the plate. You have to credit Jack Morris for the way he pitched. Um, and we didn't get the job done offensively. But uh, that was special. I, honestly, when I got to second base, I was fired up clapping because I knew we, you know, we were up one nothing. And then, honestly, I looked over third and go, whoa, you know, like what happened? And I realized what had gone on. Well, we all remember it, but we remember more you're playing here, going over behind third base, making those plays. It was, uh, it was a great, great time. I really appreciate your time, Terry. I know I took a little more time. But it's TP on Baseball and Beyond. What a, what a great – and I, first time I've made someone choke up a little bit. That's actually a thrill for me. <laughs> you got me. I'll tell you that now. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Terry Pelton. This is Baseball and Beyond. And subscribe on iTunes and check us out on Twitter at Brad Stravager. Thanks for listening.